A disclaimer. As always, this is world building bonus content. So, if it's not quite your cup of tea, feel free to skip on to the next regular chapter of Flintlocks and Fireballs. Otherwise, feel free to carry on. The port, if you please. A little more. That's perfect. Thank you. <sighs> Introductions. Hmm. Mordant. Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Obadiah Mordant, PhD Neck, 4th Battalion, 3rd Resurrectionist Regiment, under Major Pfennig, the orcish lady with the silver tusk caps. You might have seen her on the way in. Uh, yes, <laughs> that one. So, the big question first. Why necromancy? Everyone asks that. Do I have a morbid fascination with corpses? Do I revel in death? Is my interest sexual? <laughs> of course not, that's disgusting. I have no more fascination with death and corpses than a doctor of medicine, nor is my interest any less rooted in science and the desire to understand. All modern academic magic is rooted in the scientific principle. Observe, hypothesize, test, repeat. We are but cursed with the reputation of mystery cultivated by the ancient mages, who styled themselves witch doctors or gatekeepers of secrets, abusing their knowledge to place themselves as rulers over others. And of course, we share the roots of our magic with sorcerers, whose instinctual grasp of these natural laws, yes, natural, not supernatural, evades our understanding even today. Over time, we have managed to shake the prejudices of the past in many schools of academic wizardry, but nowhere does the stigma remain as strongly as with necromancy. Why? Well, the simple reminder of our mortality makes plenty enough uncomfortable, disdainful even. Few respect the undertaker or gravedigger for all that their work is vital to keeping our town sanitary. As little as a hundred years ago, the work of anatomists seeking to understand how the body works for the sake of medicine, of keeping people alive, was derided as ghoulish. Their work, as our work, was considered disrespectful. Yet it is a well-established fact of theology that the soul departs the body upon death. A man's corpse is to his soul little more than a discarded set of clothes. The science of practical military necromancy simply puts those discarded clothes to fresh use. Hmm? Ah, no. <laughs> I see. A, a common misconception. When we reanimate a zombie or skeleton, we do not insert the soul of the departed back into their body, or indeed any other soul. Instead, we make use of a type of natural animating force. Have you ever witnessed a conjurer's elemental construct? I recall an incident following an earthquake where one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Entwistle, conjured what appeared to be a crude stone man from some fallen masonry and employed it to lift rubble and rescue trapped civilians. With rather less efficiency, and rather more thanks, than when I sent my own animates to do the same, I might add. <laughs> Still, that elemental is an example of one of these animate forces given a simple temporary form from a crude substance 
It is these same animate forces that we make use of, but in a mostly intact corpse or a skeleton we have enchanted to have ethereal replicants of muscle tissue, they can sustain a form indefinitely without collapsing. It is also far easier, as the existence of spontaneous undead from unburied uh, corpses proves that such animate forces naturally seek habitation. So, why didn't the Resurrectionist regiments exist until the end of the 17th century? Control issues. Animate forces are well known to adopt something of the identity of the bodies they inhabit. This seems to cause problems with sensory overload, if left unchecked. Dr. Grelling's work on the subject theorised that in the case of undead, the once-living forms impressed upon the animates, uh, a sense that they should feel hunger, despite having no metabolic requirement for such, and that if not suppressed, they become compelled to try and fill that hunger by consuming living things. This is not the only theory. Others have postulated that they feel phantom pain and attack the living out of pain-maddened frenzy, or that they feel phantom emotions. And since rage is a powerful basic humanoid emotion, they feel compelled to act it out. Regardless, it has long been an established practice in necromantic traditions to stabilise them once a day, using a spell that destroys any senses they might develop other than the needed ones, sight, hearing, and such. Before you suggest that this behaviour is unethical, I will point out to you that the same perceived madness occurs with elemental animates. Worse, even, for constant focus must be given by the conjurer to ensure that the elemental does not develop additional senses and go rogue from the perhaps traumatic experience of existing in a body that never possessed any of the native functions it emulates to begin with. If you think it cruel to give sight to a skeleton's vacant sockets, how much crueler to give sight to barren rock or roaring flame? <laughs> the practical upshot is that a necromancer can only maintain complete control over a relatively small number of undead, perhaps a few dozen skeletons or zombies. This is hardly conducive to modern warfare. Although in more primitive times a necromancer might terrorise some local villagers and exact tribute, or else animate a large number of skeletons or zombies and leave them to go rogue in the proximity of a settlement or a fortification that they wish to destroy. Yet, such tactics can only serve as the simplest application of brute force. Even the mead mirish sorcerer Alderai credited for the creation of shadows, commanded an army composed mostly of the living. Instead, he created hordes he could not control to sow chaos amongst his enemies, then cleaned up with his disciplined living troops. Even the dreaded shadow bombs, where he would sneak a handful of shadows into a major town or city and leave them to replicate from the living until the town was ruined, could not be controlled. Alderai had to use necromantic wards and his living troops to clear the shadows from each city he destroyed this way, or else leave it forever as a haunted ruin. But, 
1683, Dr. Wollstonecraft of the Grand Duchy of Thrine invented the necromantic repeater, an enchanted device which sustains the control spells on a dozen skeletons or zombies without the assistance of a necromancer. The repeater is expensive, costing some 500 crowns to construct in the modern day, uh, which is enough for 50 muskets or perhaps even four cannon, but it only requires an attuned lieutenant trained in its use to operate. So, so long as a battalion of undead and their handlers is attended by a necromancer, such as myself, they can replenish losses far more quickly than conventional infantry. For comparison, it takes one month to train a battalion of 500 musketmen, 12,200 crowns and thereafter 2,200 crowns per month to supply and pay them, accounting for ammunition, replacement equipment, billeting and such. It takes six months to train the lieutenants in a resurrectionist battalion and 28,400 crowns to equip them, but only 1,200 crowns per month to supply and pay their higher wages, as well as ammunition for the undead troops. There are, however, numerous advantages. As mentioned, animate spirits tend to take on some of the identity of the bodies they inhabit. One unexpected benefit we discovered is that by reanimating musketmen into skeletons, they seem to retain their basic training in how to fire and reload their long arms. A skeletal battalion is as effective in combat as a living musket battalion, if not slightly more, because of their natural resistance to shot. Zombies seem to be too clumsy to maintain accurate ranged fire, but they can serve as a capable enough melee force. Unlike a skeletal section, which needs a handler to tell them when and where to fire and reload and give them specific tactical directions, the handler of a zombie section can instead point to a line of musketmen and command their zombies to charge, then retreat for cover themselves and eventually get resupplied with fresh bodies by the battalion necromancer. Will these zombies get destroyed on their way to the line infantry? Often, though not always. But the important thing is that they feel no fear or pain. Their morale will never break, and they have the advantage in melee. A line of musketmen must spend their focus and ammunition destroying a zombie advance, which can delay or distract them at a critical moment for other troops to make their move. If anything, the use of these truly expendable troops is far more ethical than sending living soldiers in to risk themselves on such a suicidal charge. Although a battalion necromancer might only be able to raise ten or so new corpses a day, they can replenish an entire battalion in two months, even if all the expendable undead were destroyed, so long as their handlers and their repeaters survive. And while you might be able to raise a new musket battalion back home in a month, we can do it in the field, on the front lines, without significant additional expense and retraining costs, to say nothing of the difficulty in getting your freshly trained battalion all the way to the front lines. So, why aren't there more of us? Hmm. Well... The stigma against necromancy is part of the reason, but the main limitation is training. You need a necromancer for each battalion, and properly, you need a necromancer who has their full doctorate. 
Basic wizard training at university takes seven years, at which point we get a few junior necromancers coming out to assist those of us already in the field. It takes another two years of fieldwork, usually, to achieve your full PhD neck, and be given command over your own battalion. Which is where the stigma comes in. Perhaps a thousand wizards graduate each year across all of Jova's universities, ready to serve their 14 years' service to their nation's military for paying their education. Of those, less than a tenth will be necromancers. Without a more extensive academic program for wizardry, or else without overcoming our old social norms about use of the dead, necromancers like me will only ever be a useful auxiliary to the main battle line.